0: To invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Peter 1, 17. As you do that, I want to recognize a, a gentleman that some of you uh, may know. He, he has been here for, I don't know how many Sundays in a row you've been here to worship, but this gentleman has been here 1,278 Sundays in a row. How about that, huh? Uh, 40 years uh, he has faithfully served Mr. Wiley Couch. Could y'all welcome Wiley Couch to the platform? years, church. I tell you, he's the first one here. He's the last one to leave. Lights turned off, turned on. Wiley's done it all, has he not? I mean, hadn't he done it all? So Wiley, we we just love you. We want you to know that. So on behalf of our personnel chairman, uh, Judge Barry Stillman, personnel committee, myself, the whole church, here's a gift for you, For your 40 years of service faithfully to this church and to our King Jesus. And I want to present that to you today. Could y'all let Wiley know you love him? And I want to pray for you before you go. Would you join me in praying for for and with Wiley? Father, again, we thank you. Uh, This is the third time today that we have brought Wiley up on the platform. And Lord, I know... I know he doesn't want to be up here, that is, <laughs> but Lord, that just speaks to his character, uh, behind the scenes, uh, doing all the things that every one of us in this room and online take for granted every single week, and yet he is faithful to, to that job, never getting recognition, always working faithfully as unto you. And so, God, we thank you for that. We want to give honor where honor's due, and honor is due this man. Uh, he loves you. He loves your church. He loves your people. And God, we're thankful for him. Uh, I ask you to bless him with your hand of blessing and favor on his life. Give him health. Give him many more years uh, with us here on uh, at, at Red Bank, serving your people and, and your, your community here. God, we give you praise and glory for your faithful saints. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Give him one more round. You. Love you, man. Yes, sir. 1 Peter 1, 17. If you're there, say, I'm there. I want to speak to you on the subject in our remaining time together. Whom shall we fear? Whom shall we fear? So I want you to look at one verse, uh, verse 17. I'm going to walk through the rest of it, but as we get started, I want to focus on this one verse, verse 17. And here we go. And if you call on him as Father, that's speaking of God the Father. If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Somebody say fear. fear. Okay. This word fear in the Greek is from the word phobo, which we derive our English word phobia, right? Phobia means irrational fear. I, I, I came across a list of, of phobia, over 500 phobias, and I jotted down a few of them. Uh, here's some of the phobias people deal with today. Uh, Pelladophobia. Pelladophobia is a fear of bald people. I didn't know we were to fear bald people, but apparently some do. Uh, geneophobia or geneophobia, not really sure how to pronounce that, is the fear of chins. Maybe you fear getting more than one chin. I don't, I don't know. Allophobia. <laughs> Oliphobia is the fear of flutes. Now listen, if you're going to fear any instrument in the orchestra, I don't imagine it'd be a flute. Do you? How about this one? triophobia. That is one word. One word. Periscovidekatriaphobia. I've been practicing that all week long. I'm so proud of myself that I can say that word. It means the fear of Friday the 13th. Intherophobia is the fear of mother-in-law. I got an amen on that one. Amen. No, I'm kidding. Nana, I love you. Nana, I love you, Nana. Uh, Terenophobia is the fear of being tickled by feathers. So these are, you know, irrational fears. But Peter here, in verse 17, he doesn't use fear in that way. He's not using fear as an irrational, horrified, terrified, scared type of fear. He is using it in the form of respect, all reverence for God, right? That's how he's using it. That if you call on him as Father, then fear, conduct yourselves with fear. And the fear of the Lord, that's a major theme in Scripture, I mean, let me give you some of these. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Uh, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Listen to this. Turning a man from the snares of death. Amen to that. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for his children, it will be a refuge. Uh, Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. The fear of the Lord is a major theme in Scripture. So based on Peter's words here, in fact, if you look over in chapter 2, here's what Peter says. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. So our takeaway is pretty simple. Based on verse 17 through 21, fear God the Father. Fear God the Father the Father. Now, now yes, you, you are absolutely correct. We are called to fold to the authority of God. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Amen? And we're called to fold to that authority. Yes, we are. We are called to forgive other believers of God. Yes, we are. We're called to favor the church of God. Absolutely. We're called to be found as disciples of God. But you better believe we're also called to fear God the Father. Yes, we're called to fear God the father to forsake the enemies of god absolutely are we called to, uh, to to fight the good fight of god yes to fan into flame the gift of god yes are we called to focus on the hope of god absolutely but we're also called to fear god the father i'm t- i don't know about you but i fancy the inheritance of god i can't wait to see what the inheritance of god all that's going to entail yes we long for the justice of god yes we flourish in the kingdom of god And absolutely, we are fueled by the love of God. But church, let us not forget, we are called to fear God the Father. Yes, we're to forecast the good news of God and fulfill the great commission of God. Absolutely, we're called to finish the race of God and to fasten ourselves to the truth of God. But church, we're called to fear God the Father. Hey, don't you stop feasting on the Word of God, and don't you stop fishing for the unsaved of God, and don't you stop fighting for the lost sheep of God. Don't stop following the Son of God and being filled with the Spirit of God. But make no mistake, we're called to fear God the Father. And here I want to give you four reasons right out of these five verses, 17 through 21, on why we should fear God the Father. Here's the first one. The first one is this We are judged so completely. Gosh, we're judged so completely. Now, I know that we like to make judgments and we like to judge. (laughs) I'm going to make a judgment right now. It's not popular, I don't imagine. It's not popular in my house. Might not be popular in this house or in your house. I don't know, but I'm going to make a judgment. A veggie burger is not a burger. It's, well, amen to that. Look at there. Amen. It's a vegetable sandwich at best. Amen. We like to make judgments and, and we like to judge each other. Some of us have earned a PhD in judging other people's sins. And we've not yet earned a GED in judging our own sin. But this scripture tells us very clearly that he judges impartially. That we're judged so completely. Now, l- let, me, let, me, let me show you how Peter lays this out. He says, if. This is a conditional statement, by the way. If you call on him as father. All people on earth are not the children of God, okay? All people on earth have been created in the image of God? Yes, absolutely. Have they been created by God? Yes. Are they all children of God? No. You have to be born again to be a child of God. You have to come through the Son in order to get to the Father. You have to put your faith in Jesus to become a child of God. In fact, don't take my word for it. Here's what Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I mean, how, can it be any clearer? Well, if not, here we go. But to all who did receive him, who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, Jesus said, No one knows the Father, or or, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Got to go through the Son to be a child of God. Again, Jesus taught his disciples who were children of God, he taught them to pray, Our Father. So it's very appropriate for a child of God to refer to God as Father, right? In fact, Paul says, in Galatians 4, he says, Because you're sons of God, uh, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So, yes, it's very appropriate to call God Father. That's a right we have as children of God. But with that comes a responsibility as well to conduct ourselves with fear in the time of our exile. Think about this glorious thought. This is a glorious thought. Think about this. Traveling to the end of the known universe. What The known universe. Not the unknown, but the known. It would take you 225 trillion years to travel to the end of the known universe. But you know what it takes for you to enter into the presence of the one who created the universe? Who created all things? Who created you? Here's what it takes. Crying out, Abba, Father. And immediately, for a child of God, you're in the presence of God. It's a phenomenal, glorious, glorious thought. Notice what Peter says here about us being judged completely. So if you call on Him as Father, look at this. Who judges impartially. So these two words, judges impartially. The word impartially means unbiased, unprejudicial. Uh, without respect to persons, that's what the word means. In fact, if you look at the, the original language, here's what the word literally means. Without a mask. Without a mask. In other words, God judges us right through the mask we put on to pretend to, pretend to be someone we're not. So, as you put your mask on to make people think you're this person or that person, God sees right through it. In other words, God is not fooled by you. Other people may be fooled by you, but God is not. He judges impartially. The word judges is a, man, this is a strong word here because it's a, it's a singular present active verb. Singular meaning there's one lawgiver and judge. Amen? There's one. And you're not it, nor am I. Uh, Present active means right now, May 2nd, 2021, God is impartially judging us right now. Hebrews says he's disciplining his children. God disciplines his children. He's doing it right now. He is writing down in the books, in the more books, in the more books. He's writing down the things you're doing uh, according to each one's deeds. Uh, but here's where this culminates is at the judgment seat of Christ. We will all appear, those who are in Christ, will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Somebody say Christ. Christ. Say Christ. Christ. Yeah, the judgment seat of Christ, it's Jesus' judgment seat. It's not the judgment seat of the church, it's not the judgment seat of America. It's not the judgment seat of his disciples. It's not the judgment seat of the elect or the forgiven or the unforgiven. It's not the judgment seat of the left. It's not the judgment seat of the right. It's not the judgment seat of Jew or Gentile, the saved or the unsaved, the righteous or the unrighteous. It's not the judgment seat of Washington or the world. It's the judgment seat of Christ. There's one judge and lawgiver, One. And he judges impartially. How does he judge? Well, it tells us right here. According to each one's deeds. Now, what does that mean? It means that you're judged for your deeds, and I'm judged for my deeds, and I'm not judged for your deeds, and you're not judged for my deeds. Each one according to his or her deeds. So all your deeds are being written down. As a believer, God is keeping up with them. As long as there's exiles on earth, there's books that are going to be written in. And these works that we're going to be judged for at the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine our eternal destiny. That has been settled. For those who put their faith in Christ, to be away from the body is to be present where? With the Lord, immediately. Okay, so that has been settled. It's finished, Jesus said. But we will be judged to determine our rewards in heaven. And here's here's the sad truth. This is so sad. Oh, it's tragic when you think about it. There's going to be so many believers at the judgment seat of Christ that are going to be, frankly, shocked. You are going to be shocked to discover on that day that you wasted your life. You're going to be shocked. At the amount of your life you wasted. Maybe that's why Jesus wipes away every tear. It's going to break your heart. When you see, wow, all you left on the table. In fact, I believe one of the uses of social media at the judgment seat is going to be evidence to prove that our lack of worship, our lack of discipleship, our lack of evangelism, our lack of studying God's Word, our lack of service and worship of Him, was not due to a lack of time. We wasted all our time on social media. Things like that in Christ for believers again. And and by the way, the judgment seat of Christ, it will not be the negotiation seat of Christ. You will not be negotiating with Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. There will be none of that at his throne. You know, once again the NFL draft has come and gone. And I know this is a shocker to everybody, but I remain undrafted. <laughs> I don't guess it's going to happen. I mean, I'm I'm 47. I guess I need to give up that dream of being drafted, I guess, by, by the Saints and just move on. Do you know every person that's born has a 0.0296% chance of playing professional sports? Even a a smaller chance of being drafted in any sport. And yet we all have a 100% chance of standing before Jesus on Judgment Day. I think we ought to uh, respond accordingly, don't you? Your kids are going to stand before Jesus on Judgment Day. So, respond accordingly. Here's a second reason why we should fear God the Father. Well, I I don't want to give it to you yet. I want to tell you what happened this week. Monday, I outlined this text. Um, I do that. I try to get it done on Monday. And this week, God was granting me favor. And I got it done on Monday. And Tuesday, Greg House and I sit down and we work through it. And we did that on Tuesday afternoon. Then he calls me Tuesday night and gives me the terrible news of this horrible car accident with eight-year-old Sarah English and her mother Kara just tragic accident and uh, Sarah was in surgery and then died later that night and so Wednesday I pick this back up and I'm looking over it and I say, God I'm I think I need to change this point or reshape this point or look for another reason here why we should fear God the Father and not, not do this second one. And God, God won't let me change it. So here it is. Um, number two, we are here so briefly. We are here so briefly. This really jumped off the page to me on Monday in this little phrase at the end of verse 17. Throughout the time of your exile. The time of your exile. Peter is talking about believers who are on this earth, but whose citizenship is in heaven. And they're not going to be here forever. We're not going to be here forever. No one lives on earth forever. So he says, in this exile, in this time, conduct yourselves with fear, because this time is, is short. It's brief. It's a short span of time. Moses said, so teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. James says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This doesn't read, uh, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your eternity. It doesn't say the time of your eternity. It says the time of your exile. Somebody say exile. Yeah, we're strangers in this strange land. We're we're exiles on earth. We're we're, uh, pastors by on this planet. We're not going to be here forever. Okay? Yet these new religions start popping up. There's a new religion. Last couple of years, this religion is really gaining traction in America. It's the religion of health and wellness. And I don't know if you've noticed, there's been a huge shift in this, a paradigm shift. I don't know if you've noticed it. But there's been a huge shift in in mentality when it comes to health and wellness. Used to the mentality was, you are healthy until proven sick. Right? That's gone. That's been thrown out the window. It's been flipped upside down. So now the new mentality is, you are sick until proven healthy. And quite frankly, church, that mentality is sick. That is a sickness in and of itself. Now, I want to be healthy. I praise God for the health that I do have. Uh, From time to time, I exercise. From time to time, I try to eat somewhat healthy some days. Okay? And I appreciate that. But I'm not going to bow the knee. I'm not going to worship health and wellness. I'm, I'm not going to... That's idolatry. It's idolatry. To worship, we don't have we don't have enough time on this earth to worship God and money, God and health, God and fill in the blank. We don't have enough time. Our time is brief; it is short. So we're to conduct ourselves with fear, fearing God the Father as we spend our times here. And and I gotta I gotta tell you something. Um, I'm gonna give you some breaking news. You heard it first here. You'll be able to say. That, hey, I heard it first at Red Bank Baptist Church on on May 2nd, 2021. Okay, so here's, here's the breaking news. You ready for this? We are all terminal. We're all terminal. We're all going to die. Unless Jesus comes before we die, we're all going to die. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. We're all going to die. And It doesn't matter if you live 80, 90, 100 years. Even 80, 90, and 100 years, that is a blip on the radar compared to eternity. It's a blip. And yes, you're right. Oh, my heavens, you're so right. Sarah English's life was cut way too short. That's way too brief. Eight years on this earth. Her exile was, was eight years. Now, she, she became a, a follower of Christ about a year, two, two years ago or so was baptized a year ago, but it's brief, brief time, and way too brief. But just think, her time in eternity is going to be longer because of her faith in Christ. And she lived her life, little Sarah English lived her life with eternity in view. She knew she wasn't going to be here forever. Now, she had no idea to be at eight years old, but she knew that this was not her permanent home. She knew we were all terminal. And here's the sad thing. There's so many adults today living their lives as if you're going to be here forever. Like you're living like you don't know that you're terminal. Hey friend, you're terminal. And you're storing up treasures on earth like you're going to be here to enjoy them. we are here so briefly is our time on this earth. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. You say, if I had a little more, I should be satisfied. You make a mistake. If you're not content with what you have, you'd not be content if it were doubled. A lot of us don't have any problem sharing our opinions anywhere with anyone at any time. But how many of us are as passionate about sharing the gospel with lost people? You know, 154,000 people are going to die today that don't know Jesus, they're going to go to hell today, that is not okay. It should not be okay with you and me. Some of those 154,000 live in Tennessee, live right here in Hamilton County. That should not be okay. And by the way, if you're too busy, if your life is too busy to worship Jesus corporately on Sunday, either in person or online, listen, you're too busy. Your time is too short. Don't waste it. I've learned, I'm learning two things as the older I get. I'm 47 years old so the older I get I'm learning number one the brevity of this life <laughs> it is short secondly I'm learning the longevity of the next life oh my heavens it's forever without end is what it is J. Jonathan Edwards said that I love this quote I'm going to stamp this quote somewhere. I don't know where, but I love this quote. He says, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Man, I like that quote. Why? Because we're here so briefly. So here's the question. What's keeping you from answering God's call on your life? Because remember, you need to be conducting yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Number three, we're ransomed so preciously. Man, verse 18 and 19 paint such a picture of how preciously we are ransomed. Uh, Notice what it says in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed, that word ransom means redeemed. It means to be bought at a price. It, It means to purchase the release of someone by paying a price, paying a ransom, to deliver by payment of price. That's that's what the word mean, to set free by by payment. You've been set free by payment. You've been bought at a price. You've been redeemed and ransomed for those of you who are in Christ. This is essential for salvation. Thomas Watson said it like this, Great was the work of creation. Greater still is the work of redemption. It costs more to redeem you than to make you. In the one there was but the speaking of the word in the other. That was the shedding of blood, end quote. So what are we ransomed from? Why do we need to be ransomed? It tells us right here, verse 18. Knowing that you were redeemed, you were bought, you were purchased from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. What are these feudal ways? Well, it's living outside of relationship with Christ. You understand that outside of Christ, life is vain and useless, worthless, pointless. Every accomplishment any unbeliever ever accomplishes is going to be burned up. It has no eternity value at all. But for those in Christ, every little deed you do is going to count in eternity. Did you hear that, church? I don't care if you're an unbeliever and you win, the, uh, you win all these awards and all these accomplishments, all these accolades, every one of them is going to be burned up. But if you're a widow and you give two widow's minds, do you understand the eternity impact that's going to have, and that's having right now in the glory of heaven? My glory. We have been ransomed from this futile way of life that is vain and useless and worthless outside of Christ. Jesus said it like this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give for his soul? So we're ransomed from this. What are we ransomed by? Keep reading here. Look what it says. End of verse 18. Not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Man, you've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Listen, you've been purchased by something that will never perish. You know why silver and gold and money can't redeem you? Because it perishes. Nothing that perishes is going to be able to redeem someone who perishes. It's impossible. It's impossible so the blood of Christ is so precious that it never perishes and and it is redeemed There's there's not enough money in the world to redeem just one sin much less all sin and the precious blood of Christ has redeemed all sins of every single solitary person who puts their faith in Christ that is phenomenal church we we are purchased by the blood of Jesus and and notice what this is like i love this peter says it's like that in verse 19 like that of a lamb without blemish or spot it takes us all the way back to the passover remember egypt enslaved israel you can read about this in exodus chapter 12 exodus chapter 12 and as they're in enslaved they begin to cry out to God God hears their cries and he calls up Moses he says Moses go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go Well, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he wouldn't let them go so God had ten plagues and just before the last plague the tenth plague which was the death of the firstborn God told Moses and Aaron okay tell the people tell tell my people to take a lamb without spot or blemish that's key (laughs) without blemish or spot Sacrifice the lamb, take the blood of this lamb, put it on the doorpost of your home. And the death angel, when it gets to your home and sees that you have applied the blood to your doorpost, the death angel will pass over and not take the firstborn. What a glorious picture this is. (laughs) That Christ is the Passover lamb that when you take the blood of Jesus and you apply it to your heart and to your life and to your sin and to your rebellion, the death angel will pass over you. The second death will not affect you. The second death being the death for all of eternity because the blood of Christ has paid that penalty and you've been set free and you've entered into a relationship with God the Father. No amount of money can do that. None. See, Jesus is Abraham's chosen seed. Jesus is symbolized in Noah's ark. That's a picture of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is reigning currently on his throne in heaven. He, he fulfilled the old covenant. He established the new covenant. He, he's who Isaiah calls the suffering servant. He is the Lamb of God who's taking away our sins. He, he is the first and the last, the beginning, In the end, He's the only Savior of the world. The only one. He's the Father's beloved Son. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He will bring real justice. He'll bring real justice. He'll come in all of His glory when He comes. Listen, salvation. I heard a pastor say this recently. Salvation is not a makeover. You don't need to be made over. Salvation is a takeover. Jesus has come to take over. He is Lord. He alone is Lord. Man, what a glorious thought that we we not only are judged so completely and not only are we here so briefly, but church, we're ransomed so preciously. Last one, and then we're going to enter into a time of partaking of the Lord's Supper. Last one is this. We are loved so deeply Gosh, we are loved so deeply. Church, I love you. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I pray for you every week. I pray for somebody here every day. Love you deeply. I love you more than Nick Saban loves the NFL draft. You know, Coach Saban has more first-round draft picks than he has losses in his 14 years at Alabama. I love you more than Tim Tebow loves running tight end routes out in front of Trevor Lawrence's house right now. I love you more than that. I love you, church, but I've got to tell you, God the Father loves you even more. In fact, what a a picture we have. If you take verse 20 and 21, I want you to see how much God loves you. Look at verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, that's Jesus, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, saying He was foreknown and He was made manifest, God the Father is the one doing that. God the Father is the one that foreknew. God the Father is the one who's making manifest. God the Father is the one who allows us to become believers in Him through the precious blood of Christ. So let me paint this picture for you. Here's how much God loves you. God loves you so much that before the foundation of the world, He put His redemptive plan in place. You understand that? You understand that God didn't say, "Uh uh-oh, when Adam and Eve sinned. He didn't say, oh no, I didn't see that coming. He didn't say that. It didn't shock him. It didn't take him by surprise. Think about that. Before God created you, sinner. God had a plan to redeem you, sinner. Think about that. Before he made you, he had a plan to remake you. Before the foundation of the world. And not only did he have a plan, the Bible right here tells us he revealed it. He made it manifest in the last times. What does that mean? Hebrews tells us that God spoke to us. He spoke to His people through the prophets in the Old Testament. But in these last days, He speaks to us through His Son. That's how He made it manifest. Through the precious blood of Christ. Through His, the person of Jesus is how He made His redemptive plan known through Jesus himself. 2,000 years ago, this man, uh, Jesus, came walking on this earth, lived a perfect life without sin. He loved people, and those same people he loved drugged him out of the city, nailed him to a cross, and he willingly died right there for your sin and my sin, paying the debt totally, completely, was buried and was raised to life on the third day, proving that he alone has authority to forgive our sin. So God, He planned this redemption. He made it known. And then look what He does at the end of this. He applies that to us. He allows us to apply that to ourselves. Notice what it says. Through Him, we're believers in God. Through Him, we have faith and hope in God. Man, how much does God love you that He would have a plan of redemption, that He would make it known to you, that He would allow you to apply it to you. That's how much he loves you. And what better demonstration of God's love do we have than the Lord's Supper? Let me say this. Jesus did not die to make the Father love us. Jesus died because the Father loved us. That's how much he loves us. And Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of Him. So we're going to do this in remembrance of Him. What is this?